Section 4 of Optics. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nadine Kurtboulet. Optics by Isaac Newton. Book 1, Part 1, Proposition 2, Section 1. Theorem 2. The light of the sun consists of rays differently refrangible. The proof by experiments. Experiment 3. In a very dark chamber, at a round hole, about one-third part of an inch broad, made in the shut of a window, I placed a glass prism, whereby the beam of the sun's light, which came in at that hole, might be refracted upwards toward the opposite wall of the chamber, and there form a colored image of the sun. The axis of the prism, that is, the line passing through the middle of the prism, from one end of it to the other end, parallel to the edge of the refracting angle, was in this and the following experiments perpendicular to the incident rays. About this axis I turned the prism slowly, and saw the refracted light on the wall, or colored image of the sun, first to descend, and then to ascend. Between the descent and ascent, when the image seemed stationary, I stopped the prism, and fixed it in that posture, that it should be moved no more. For in that posture the refractions of the light at the two sides of the refracting angle, that is, at the entrance of the rays into the prism, and at their going out of it, were equal to one another. So also in other experiments, as often as I would have the refractions on both sides, the prism to be equal to one another, I noted the place where the image of the sun formed by the refracted light stood still between its two contrary motions, in the common period of its progress and regress, and when the image fell upon that place, I made fast the prism, and in this posture, as the most convenient, it is to be understood that all the prisms are placed in the following experiments, unless where some other posture is described. The prism therefore being placed in this posture, I let the refracted light fall perpendicularly upon a sheet of white paper at the opposite wall of the chamber, and observed the figure and dimensions of the solar image formed on the paper by that light. This image was oblong and not oval, but terminated with two rectilinear and parallel sides, and two semicircular ends. On its sides it was bounded pretty distinctly, but on its ends very confusedly and indistinctly, the light there decaying and vanishing by degrees. The breadth of this image answered to the sun's diameter, and was about two inches and the eighth part of an inch, including the penumbra. For the image was eighteen feet and a half distant from the prism, and at this distance that breadth, if diminished by the diameter of the hole in the window-shut, that is, by a quarter of an inch, subtended an angle at the prism of about half a degree, which is the sun's apparent diameter but the length of the image was about ten inches and a quarter, and the length of the rectilinear sides about eight inches, and the refracting angle of the prism, whereby so great a length was made, was sixty-four degrees. With a less angle, the length of the image was less, the breadth remaining the same. If the prism was turned about its axis that way which made the rays emerge more obliquely out of the second refracting surface of the prism, the image soon became an inch or two longer, or more. And if the prism was turned about the contrary way, so as to make the rays fall more obliquely on the first refracting surface, 
the image soon became an inch or two shorter. And therefore, in trying this experiment, I was as curious as I could be in placing the prism by the above-mentioned rule exactly in such a posture that the refractions of the rays at their emergence out of the prism might be equal to that at their incidence on it. This prism had some veins running along within the glass from one end to the other, which scattered some of the sun's light irregularly, but had no sensible effect in increasing the length of the colored spectrum. For I tried the same experiment with other prisms, with the same success. And particularly with a prism which seemed free from such veins, and whose refracting angle was sixty-two and a half degrees, I found the length of the image nine three-quarters or ten inches at the distance of eighteen and a half feet from the prism, the breadth of the hole in the window-shut being one-quarter of an inch, as before. And because it is easy to commit a mistake in placing the prism in its due posture, I repeated the experiment four or five times, and always found the length of the image that which is set down above. With another prism of clearer glass and better polish, which seemed free from veins, and whose refracting angle was sixty-three and a half degrees, the length of this image at the same distance of eighteen and a half feet was also about ten inches, or ten and an eighth. Beyond these measures, for about a quarter or third of an inch at either end of the spectrum, the light of the clouds seemed to be a little tinged with red and violet, but so very faintly that I suspected that tincture might either wholly, or in great measure, arise from some rays of the spectrum scattered irregularly by some inequalities in the substance and polish of the glass, and therefore I did not include it in these measures. Now the different magnitude of the hole in the window-shut, and different thickness of the prism where the rays passed through it, and different inclinations of the prism to the horizon, made no sensible changes in the length of the image. Neither did the different matter of the prisms make any, for in a vessel made of polished plates of glass cemented together in the shape of a prism, and filled with water, there is the like success of the experiment according to the quantity of the refraction. It is farther to be observed that the rays went on in right lines from the prism to the image, and therefore at their very going out of the prism had all that inclination to one another from which the length of the image proceeded, that is, the inclination of more than two degrees and a half. And yet, according to the laws of optics vulgarly received, they could not possibly be so much inclined to one another. For let E.G., figure 13, represent the window-shut, F. the hole made therein, through which a beam of the sun's light was transmitted into the darkened chamber, and A. B. C. a triangular imaginary plane, whereby the prism is feigned to be cut transversely, through the middle of the light. Or, if you please, let ABC represent the prism itself, looking directly towards the spectator's eye with its nearer end. And let XY be the sun, MN the paper upon which the solar image or spectrum is cast, and PT the image itself whose sides towards V and W are rectilinear and parallel, and ends towards P and T semicircular. YKHP and XLJT are two rays, the first of which comes from the lower part of the sun to the higher part of the image, and is refracted in the prism at K and H, and the latter comes from the higher part of the sun to the lower part of the image, and is refracted at L and J. 
since the refractions on both sides of the prism are equal to one another, that is, the refraction at K equal to the refraction at J, and the refraction at L equal to the refraction at H, so that the refractions of the incident rays at K and L taken together are equal to the refractions of the emergent rays at H and J taken together, it follows by adding equal things to equal things, that the refractions at K and H taken together are equal to the refractions at J and L taken together, and therefore the two rays being equally refracted have the same inclination to one another after refraction which they had before. That is, the inclination of half a degree answering to the sun's diameter. For so great was the inclination of the rays to one another before refraction. So, then, the length of the image PT would by the rules of vulgar optics subtend an angle of half a degree at the prism, and by consequence be equal to the breadth VW, and therefore the image would be round. Thus it would be were the two rays XLJT and YKHP, and all the rest which form the image PWTV alike refrangible. And therefore, seeing by experience, it is found that the image is not round, but about five times longer than broad. The rays which going to the upper end P of the image suffer the greatest refraction, must be more refrangible than those which go to the lower end T, unless the inequality of refraction be casual. This image or spectrum PT was colored, being red at its least refracted end T, and violet at its most refracted end P, and yellow-green and blue in the intermediate spaces, which agrees with the first proposition that lights which differ in color do also differ in refrangibility. The length of the image in the foregoing experiments I measured from the faintest and outmost red at one end to the faintest and outmost blue at the other end, excepting only a little penumbra whose breadth scarce exceeded a quarter of an inch, as was said above. Experiment 4 In the sun's beam which was propagated into the room through the hole in the window shut, at the distance of some feet from the hole, I held the prism in such a posture that its axis might be perpendicular to that beam. Then I looked through the prism upon the hole, and turning the prism to and fro about its axis, to make the image of the whole ascend and descend, when between its two contrary motions it seemed stationary, I stopped the prism, that the refractions of both sides of the refracting angle might be equal to each other, as in the former experiment. In this situation of the prism, viewing through it the said whole, I observed the length of its refracted image to be many times greater than its breadth, and that the most refracted part thereof appeared violet, the least refracted red, the middle parts blue, green, and yellow in order. The same thing happened when I removed the prism out of the sun's light, and looked through it upon the hole shining by the light of the clouds beyond it. And yet, if the refraction were done regularly, according to one certain proportion of the signs of incidence and refraction, as is vulgarly supposed, the refracted image ought to have appeared round. So then, by these two experiments it appears that in equal incidences there is a considerable inequality of refractions. But whence this inequality arises, whether it be that some of the incident rays are refracted more, and others less, 
constantly, or by chance, or that one and the same ray is by refraction disturbed, shattered, dilated, and as it were split and spread into many diverging rays, as Grimaldo supposes, does not yet appear by these experiments, but will appear by those that follow. End of section 4